Hey everyone, welcome to Neuropod. This episode is a conversation I had with the BCI guys, Harrison Canning and Colin Fosnott. They make a bunch of high quality videos about helping people understand the fundamentals of neurotechnology, especially brain computer interfaces. Hope you enjoy our conversation. I first asked the question, can you guys talk about why you started the BCI guys and what the overall mission is? Here's what they had to say. The main goal for BCI guys is to sort of spread awareness of brain computer interfaces in general. Um, we found that the space is um, sort of new. And because of that, it's, it's, there's not a lot of content out there related to brain computer interfaces specifically. Um, so, you know, we figured it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to start um, a social media sort of company uh, related to specifically brain computer interfaces uh, and talk about neurotechnology in general and, you know, see where that takes us. Yeah, so we, we kind of started this uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to try to figure out a way to provide value to people and get people into neurotech because before that in 2018, Colin and I started a research group uh, at our school, um, which Colin has uh, graduated from, Rochester Institute of Technology. And so we were really enjoying bringing in more students and teaching them about neurotech and getting people engaged. And so this was kind of the next thing. And so our, our big goals really are to create content that's entertaining and engaging in neurotech to bring people in. Gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome. Like a great mission uh, because like I know that when I was starting Neuropod, I was thinking about how do I inspire as many people and just increase awareness of brain machine interfaces, brain computer interfaces. Um, and it's amazing to me. Now I realize it's, it's almost been a year and I've realized how much this whole space has left to grow. It's like, we're still such like in the total early innings and there's a bunch of different companies out there that are working on it. And I don't think it's just because I wasn't aware of it before and now I'm paying more attention to it. I think it's it's partially that, but then it's also literally, okay, this space is growing faster than so many other industries and spaces out there. So it's very cool that you guys are, are doing this. Um, yeah, for sure. It's you guys referenced, or Harrison, you referenced that um, Colin, you graduated, and then Harrison, you're still at RIT? Yeah, I've got one more semester, one more semester at RIT. And so... Okay. I'm studying neurotechnology there and I put it in quotes because it's a individualized major. So I add different components to that. And so primary one is neuroscience and then um, business technology courses and design. So those kind of all come together into one major. Yeah, my, my background did, uh, at RIT as well, obviously, uh, that's where we met. Um, I was a software engineer uh, at, at RIT. Um, I, like I said earlier, I, I interned at a company called OpenBCI um, in 2016, in summer of 2016. That got me interested in, in all this stuff. Uh, Harrison and I started a research group um, on campus at RIT, specifically uh, centered around brain-computer interfacing. Uh, and then I went on to teach uh, a course at RIT uh, for one semester, uh, specifically around like the practical applications of electroencephalography and electromyography and like using it to do things like um, drive robots and fun little projects like that, like light LEDs and stuff like that. I see. And I assume most of the other classmates that you were uh, t doing classes with, they were probably not as interested in brain computer interfaces as you were. were Definitely not. 
No, I, yeah, I was like, um, I was a little bit of the black sheep <laughs> in that regard. Um, I, I'm not trained at all as like a biomedical engineer or anything like that. My background specifically is software and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, it actually started with, um, my interest in all this actually started with a, um, freshman project where we were researching open, open source projects. And that's how I found out about OpenBCI that led to me actually, uh, asking RIT to buy me a device, an OpenBCI device, which then led to the internship and stuff. So. Yeah. And so for me, I'm on, I'm on the other end of that. So I'm less technical and more, you know, into the, into the neuroscience and, and stuff like that, but still, you know, I mean, as, as you alluded to earlier, neurotechnology is still very much in its infancy. And it's, I really believe it's at a breakout point right now, which is why I think it's cool for, for both of us to be getting into the, the content, uh, the content space right now to help push that ball forward. Um, but the interesting thing is when you tell people about neurotechnology and controlling things with your mind and all this stuff, like then there's that interest. And so that's what we found with, with NXT, our, our research group was that, you know, it, people hadn't heard of neurotechnology, but when they saw what we were doing at presentations or stuff like that, they're like, wow, this is cool. And we want to learn about this stuff. And by the end of our first year, we had researchers, about 20 of them. So holding a position and then 80 people overall that were just like come to our meetings and be interested. And, and so we were like, wow, like this is, this is, a, this is an industry that people are going to keep coming into. Um, and so that kind of spawned. Yeah, it's funny too because we so we actually we we went out to Dubai in in um in, was it 2019? Yeah, spring of 2019. Um, and we were talking to like all the kids and stuff. So we we were at a maker fair there, which is like a like a science fair slash hackathon type thing. Um, and when we were there, we were showing all these really cool experiments of like moving Mario right with, with just using muscles on your arm or uh, robotic prosthetics and stuff. Um, and whenever we were, uh, whenever like a little kid would walk up to us, they were like, oh, do you have a YouTube channel? You know, we'd love to watch more stuff about this. Um, and that also kind of sparked that interest of like, well, clearly there's interest there. Clearly people think this stuff is cool, um, but there's not a lot of this stuff on the internet right now. So, uh, yeah. Gotcha. And now, now you guys are committed to this full-time, right? Or That's right. Full-time yes. air quotes. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Among my million other projects. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. No, this is, a, this is our primary thing right now. But for us to be able to continue to do this full-time, we've got to make it sustainable. So trying to figure that gotcha. out. Um, and then Harrison, I think you mentioned in a last conversation um, that you have a personal motivation for having studied neurotechnology. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I was, when I was much younger, um, like younger than 13, I had wanted to be a robotics engineer. I had seen this video of Asimo, um, which is a robot produced in Japan that could do all these amazing things. I was like, wow, I want to, I want to work on that. Um, but in uh, 2012, uh, I was assaulted actually, and I got a really bad concussion. And from that, I couldn't read or write for a year. After that, I had a lot of sleep, uh, speaking difficulties. And, um, you know, daily head pain for, for years after that. And one of the things that, that went away that I still struggle with a little bit is, is math. And that's obviously a really important piece to be an engineer. And so I, I, about a year after all this had happened, I was pretty depressed because of the things that I had, had lost intellectually. Um, and I was remembering this like old robotic suit that I had wanted to design to help people with ALS walk around. But it's like, how do you control that device if someone can't move their body? And I think because of everything that was going on with my head, I was like, I wonder if you could control this stuff 
with your mind. And so I, I found some videos of, of someone actually doing that. And I was like, this is incredible. This is, and my, my vision of like what the future could be with this technology really expanded into more than just assistive devices, but really changing our interactions, the ways that we interact with, with technology to make it more human. And so I sort of set this vision of a company that I want to create in the future, and then just dove into business neuroscience and computer science in high school, just reading everything that I could. And most of my education was informal through that period. And that was how I ended up passing high school is just from taking neuroscience courses and stuff outside and then bringing that in. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's important for, for folks to hear that, you know, background because, um, yeah, it helps probably helps them like relate to or, or not, maybe not personally, but helps them relate to your story, you know, and correlate your story to what, you, what you're working on right now. So I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's just been like, this has given me a, a sense of direction and what I want to do. And just like seeing this future open up of, of the possibilities of this technology has just been um, incredible. And it's what has pushed me forward since then. And so, yeah, I've been fully engrossed in this stuff since about that time, since about 2013, and just, you know, loving reading every paper that I can get my hands on. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the course that you guys created. It's currently free and posted on YouTube. And you guys are also making other videos on YouTube. So curious about what you guys expect for the direction of the YouTube channel and then also the other initiatives that you guys are working on. So for the course specifically, uh, we partnered with Neurotech X to, to, to build that course. Um, that'll be live. a community organization um, around right. Neurotech. So they run like student clubs and stuff. Yeah, they're like the number one national club for uh, neurotechnology. Um, but yeah, we, we partnered with them to create Neurotech EDU uh, 2.0, which is sort of a re, re, redone version of their Neurotech EDU platform. Um, and yeah, so we're releasing all that content for free. We also have some written content specifically on their platform, uh, which is going to be released here soon. Um, but yeah, the, the YouTube uh, videos specifically can also be taken as their own course. Uh, so you can just move through those YouTube videos and uh, learn the ba the very, very, very fundamentals of brain computer interfacing, how it works from a um, neuroscience perspective, along with how it works from like a technological perspective. Uh, and then, you know, go through the history of it and talk about ethics and have um, some like morality discussions and stuff as well. Yeah, so the, the Foundations of Neurotechnology course was our sort of breakout like first project. And we've been talking about doing this and talking to Neurotech X for about two years now, or started about two years ago. Um, and we ended up like in, in August, we started this effort where, okay, BCI guys is gonna become a thing and produce the content and then they'll produce the platform and then we can kind of put that together. But um, since it's our content, we put it up on the YouTube channel, that stuff will always be free. And we wanted that to be our first thing so that there's this foundation of, okay, if people are interested in neurotechnology and want to learn more and actually go into the field, there will always be this course up that they can go back to. But we're, I don't wanna say pivoting because we're always gonna make content that's educational, but we're starting to expand our content into something that can reach a more general audience um, to try to expand like the scope and the mouth of the funnel for where neurotechnology can reach. And so we have uh, project videos planned where we, you know, doing brain controlled uh, devices and um, through applications and stuff, um, which Colin, if you want, we can talk about that one main project that we have coming up, but then like YouTube shorts and then topic videos that are more 
like focusing on news and stuff like that. Yeah, we're, we're specifically looking into project-based videos, like Harrison was saying. So I, I've developed lots of projects with brain computer interfaces, including robotic prosthetics and uh, like RC cars, things like that, where you can sort of like focus to make a car move forward. Uh, you can, you know, use your, your muscles to sort of drive a car, right? So we had a researcher in, um, in, our, in our research group who literally developed a way to use each arm to, and contract each arm to basically go right or left and then drive the car forward when they're both going like that. Um, so just little projects like that, including a few other um, <laughs> pretty, pretty funny ones that we're working on. Um, I don't know how much we want to go into detail on those, but um, uh, I'm excited for them. We, we're actually working with somebody uh, like a pretty big computer interface company right now um, and getting some really cool hardware into to make these videos happen. So super excited. Nice little teaser there. um so it's really unfortunate that like with youtube a lot of the non-depth educational con yeah the non-depth semi-educational but more entertaining type content gets more views and just appeals to more people so i'm wondering if there's a way for you guys to make the entertaining content like also educational and layer that with it and just combine them is that yeah. something you guys are thinking about? Yeah, that's that's sort of the goal is we want to sprinkle in the education with, you know, fun stuff as well. Um, eventually right now we're, we're leaning more towards that educational piece because I think when Harrison and I were both starting to learn about brain computer interfacing and neurotechnology, there isn't a lot of easily digestible content out there. Uh, like about how brain computer interfaces work. Um, and re- instead of reading through, I mean, especially as like a freshman in college, it's, it becomes really difficult to convince yourself to sit there and read through all these different scientific papers and try to figure out exactly how it works. Um, so our goal was sort of to, to, to um, ease that burden of, of education and, and sort of make it easier for people to just sit down and just watch a video series and sort of get the gist of it without having to, you know, sit there and read through all these scientific papers. Yeah, and so from, but from that point, we wanted to make it as accessible as possible because neurotechnology is really intimidating because it's not just neuroscience, it's also the technology piece, which can mean electrical engineering, software engineering, whatever, all these other things. And so we constructed the videos, we based them, or like off of a model similar to Crash Course. So where we tried to uh, weave in entertaining content, but the point that you were getting at where like, you know, course core education videos doesn't do as well as, you know, pure entertainment videos. And yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And we kind of knew that going into this, but it doesn't mean that those pure entertainment or closer to pure entertainment videos aren't useful either, because even just introducing the idea of controlling devices with your brain uh, builds awareness, right? And so that can lead people to think about that as a potential solution to future technology problems, or to maybe go down the line and want to engage later. So even if it's something where we're controlling a device with, with our brain, an RC car or something like that, then like that still can get the ball rolling in someone's mind. You know, it could inspire someone young to look into this more later. Could not agree more. Um, so you guys referenced that you guys are working with a BCI company. Are there any other companies or, or maybe it's that company um, that we should really keep an eye on? Yeah, definitely. Um, so so obviously Neuralink is, is the one that people know of because Elon Musk's name is tied to it and they are working on some really incredible things. But the, the industry has been around for a while, although it is like at the, at the tipping point right now. It's, it's been around for a little bit. I know that you spoke to um, 
the, I think it was the CEO from BrainGate a little bit ago and was the CEO. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think he's, he's CEO, but he is uh, partially associated with BrainGate. Yeah. Dr. Okay. John Donahue. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So BrainGate has been around for a while and they're always one to watch because in almost all of the papers of invasive neurotech, um, like that has been sort of the, uh, the gold standard that has been used. Although there's a company called Paradromics, which is building an electrode grid that has up to 10,000 electrodes on it. Um, it's a rigid block. So Neuralink devices have a little bit more flexibility and so that has some benefits, but 10,000 electrodes is way more than, than previous standards that uh, BrainGate, I think gets up to 256. Um, there's another company called Synchron, which is um, doing a semi-invasive uh, implant. So basically they take an electrode, put it in your chest and push it up through brain vasculature over the area of the brain that they wanna get to which from my perspective sounds very scary, but it's um, much safer uh, and you know, it doesn't require you to actually open the brain, which, which is a good thing. Um, I'll give you just a couple more. Uh, Kernel is kind of the other like really big one in the space in terms of funding. Both Kernel and Neuralink have over hundred million in funding um, and they are going the non-invasive route. So they're building this headset um, built on a technology called magnetoencephalography, which the name of that isn't so important, but basically it's using magnetic fields, sensing a, a magnetic fields uh, that the neurons create to be able to try to determine what it's doing. And so they are putting a lot of money into a different approach. And so, you know, for us that don't have uh, uh, an issue that we might need to get an implant for, that's, you know, going to be more usable in the foreseeable future. And then um, just quickly, like for devices that people want to get in their hands right now that are being used right now, um, GTech is working on some really cool stuff. They have a bunch of medical hardware, research hardware, and recently the Unicorn headset, which is for like hackers. OpenBCI has a ton of different devices that you can use and that open part means you can make it for your own projects. Control Labs was bought by Facebook. They do this really cool um, VR uh, thing where they can monitor the hand in space. And then the last one I'll mention is co Cogniaxon. Um, I, think that's, I think that's how you say it. I hope that's how you say it. Um, but they're working on this cool AR platform um, that's controlled uh, through brain signals, which is just a really smart next step, I think, because having a headset on affords the ability to have electrodes and, um, and they have a really cool version of that. But there are lots of other companies working in that area as well. Yeah, OpenPCI just partnered with Valve actually uh, to create a, a, a VR uh, sort of uh, attachment for for the the, the Valve Index, uh, which is super interesting. It's great to see them making progress still because uh, you know they're they're really a uh, a come up story. You know what I mean? Uh, really, really awesome to see the progress they've made in the last couple of years. Gotcha. Um, was the Harrison was that the company that you had mentioned right before OpenBCI? The Zoom kind of the recording cut out for a little bit oh what was the i think that was gtech gtech okay yeah yeah and they're a unicorn headset yep yep um and then so kind of to backtrack on some of those companies um mm -hmm. with synchron that's the one that they have a a stentrode is that what they call it mm -hmm. like a stent but electrode and yes. then they put it through the veins and mm -hmm. basically anywhere that your veins are that's where they have a canal to, to place an electrode. 
essentially. I mean, you need a large enough one that you're not going to clot it and cause a stroke because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be great. Um, but where they primarily go is right up on top of the brain here, because this is an area called the motor cortex up there that controls motor movement. And so their goal, I believe, is to do it's either, I think it's 100 characters per minute typing um, just by having that electrode there, which for context, um, the best that I've seen right now with an invasive implant is, is 35 and you have to open the skull for that. So it is a really, really cool technology. Um, yeah. And then you mentioned paradromics, uh, mm -hmm. which has the 10,000 electrode count. Do you guys believe that the 10,000 is going to be necessary? And then can you also comment on how how you guys feel about rigid versus flexible electrode threads or or non-threads? So yes. the, mo the more data points you have, the more accurate you're going to be with your data analysis and stuff, potentially, right? Um, so the, the more electrodes you can fit into a smaller area, um, the more accurate, theoretically, your device will be. Um, but there's also issues with like, um, signal processing power and, and, and stuff like that, that can limit the usefulness of larger numbers of electrodes. But especially in implantable devices, it's really important to have a large number of uh, data points. Um, I personally don't like the rigid model as much. Um, so I like the, the flexible electrodes that Neuralink has been developed way more because um, there is issues with like scarring and stuff for, for these rigid electrode arrays um, that can create significant problems, both from a medical standpoint and from a data collection standpoint, uh, where you can no longer collect data from places that are, have formed scar tissue. Um, and over time, electrodes can do things like migrate throughout the body and throughout the brain as well. Um, so you gotta be really careful uh, with the rigid model, in my opinion. I think the, the flexible stuff is really revolutionary. I'm excited to see uh, where that goes. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that last part for sure, that, you know, the ability to avoid blood vessels means that these devices are going to last a lot longer because scar tissue building up just builds up right around the electrode, makes it not usable after a couple of years. Um, and the other thing that I want to mention is I think at 10,000, there will still be very useful data that we're, that we're pulling from that because, you know, neurons are extremely, extremely small. Um, but you do have diminishing returns when you start putting a lot of electrodes in because, uh, one, if like, let's say that you are sampling every neuron in a given area, well, having that electrode in there is going to kill some of them. And so now we're getting, you know, null data points from certain things. And so it might actually be better to sample from, let's say 20 neurons at a point so that you have that aggregated effect in, in a certain area. And usually if you're that close, the neurons function will be similar enough that you can probably get a high degree of, of you know, usefulness from that. But yeah, for right now, we're still at the point where more electrodes is generally better. Yeah, to build off of that, I recently saw something that um, Neuralink had the potential to place more electrodes and, and threads inside a given area, but they deliberately chose not to because they felt like the, the, the cons outweighed the pros. And so yeah. and I think at some point, like paradromics may feel the same thing. I haven't done so much research yeah. into what they're doing. Um, yeah, you can extrapolate think... a lot from fewer data points than people would think. And I think that that's, that's really where a lot of the innovation is going to be over the next five or 10 years is these algorithms that can sort of guess what's going on uh, with smaller data points. Uh, it's obviously a lot easier to convince somebody to get an a, a implant with like 10 electrodes rather than an implant with like 
a thousand electrodes. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and the other thing too, uh, the last thing I'll say on this is, you know, functioning in the brain doesn't happen at any one neuron, right? And so theoretically, if we understood all of the 86 billion neurons that are in our brain and what they're doing, then yeah, you could build a great interface, but that's not reasonable to do. And so consciousness and like, and just doing things with the, the consciousness of just doing any process that the brain has to do is an emergent property. It's something that happens from multiple things working together. And so, you know, you can often get a good enough idea of what the brain is doing by sampling an area and uh, extrapolating from that. So it seems like you don't think that it's ever going to be the case where we'll have like a neural cap where it's like a full brain, replace, brain replacement. Interesting thought. I, so I actually think that people are going to be more drawn to non-invasive approaches uh, in the near future, at least. So that's things like electroencephalography and electromyography. Um, and those will have more. Um, uh, I, I think that those are still going to need those large amounts of data points. So like wearing a cap um, is going to be necessary for a lot of, of those devices um, from like an accuracy standpoint. Because um, you need more data points in order to extrapolate. Uh, what's going on in the brain. Um, I don't know though about the, so, so you're specifically talking about like a lace that like sits on top of the, the cortex, like the cerebral cortex, right? Like the outside of the brain. Correct. Basically you cut off the skull portion on the top of your head and just replace that entire thing. And then you have tons of brain data. I think the, um, I think the biggest limiting factor for neurotechnology is going to be um, people being scared of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that that, especially in the short term, is going to be pretty uh, daunting for a lot of people to, to, to accept. I bet, though, in 100 years, when people are like, when it's super commonplace, I don't think people will care as much anymore. And I think that maybe that'll, that'll definitely be something that happens. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is you wouldn't want to have sampling from, like, everywhere in the brain, because it just wouldn't be useful for an interface. So, um, estimates are that about half of your neurons are in cerebellum, which is a small area at the, at the back of the brain that affects things like balance. Like that wouldn't really be all that useful for an interface. And so you could pick very selective areas, the motor cortex. So really the ones that I would be looking at are the motor cortex and any sensory area to build an interface. So you can affect senses, vision, hearing, whatever it is, and then move something around on the screen. And then maybe the other area um, would be where it's already being used as like emotional regulation. So helping with mental illness and memory. But other than that, I mean, in terms of the surface area and all the brain areas that we're talking about, this is a, you know, these are very distinct uh, parts or maybe the way that they come together isn't distinct, but you can target distinct areas. And, um, and so you wouldn't need to, you wouldn't really want to put electrodes across the whole brain. Okay. Um... What are some applications that you guys seeing, you guys foresee BCI being most useful for? So primarily, uh, obviously, accessibility. So helping people who can't move, helping people who are in locked-in states, um, people with ALS, people who can't um, move parts of their body. That's where BCIs are going to be the most useful in the near future, um, and they already have been uh, the most useful there. 
Um, but also, I think, uh, you know, both education and entertainment are going to be revolutionized with brain computer interfaces. Uh, so think things like VR. So imagine you're wearing like a VR headset and instead of having to move your physical body around in order to move your character or avatar through a, a virtual world, you can just imagine it. You can just say I'm, or just just pretend that you're walking uh, just by thinking about it. And that makes your character move forward. Um I think in the next, within the next 10 to 20 years, that's where a lot of innovation is going to come from. Um, and I think that it's going to be really, really cool. Um, and I'm hoping um, that um, we see that really soon, especially with these devices, like I was talking about with the, with the, the uh, OpenBCI headset and stuff. Um, it'd be awesome to, to, to not have to like, to, to be able to like lay in a, a room and just be in virtual reality and like move your head around without actually moving your head around. Um, so. For me, I've got like two parts that kind of come together. Uh, and so the first one is neuromodulation. So a subsect of, of neurotechnology that is specifically looking to um, replace or um, supplement parts of the nervous system that have been damaged in some way. And so, I bring this up because this is already the, the largest and most useful part of, of neurotechnology where it can help where you have chronic pain. It can stimulate the neurons uh, to stop them from producing pain signals. Um, and like I said, it's already proven to be effective for uh, mental illness treatments um, and is used clinically for like Parkinson's and, and stuff like that. And so these are basically, again, just electrodes that stimulate certain neurons to get them to stop or start sending a signal. And that's already really, really useful um, because lots and lots of people have chronic pain. Uh, I think it's about like a quarter of Americans or something like that have some type of chronic pain. So there's that. So there's so that can be really, really helpful. Um, and then in the future, like far, far future, talking about brain-computer interfaces, I've always been attached to this idea of making technology more human. So like right now, we're typing on a keyboard and using a mouse and looking at a two-dimensional screen. And like, that's really amazing what we can do but it's not how we naturally interact with the world. We interact in 3D, we're touching things, we're, you know, we're uh, committing emotion to memories, things that we're looking at. And so if we can build an interface that is overlaid into how we interact with the world, I think we can build an interface that's healthier as opposed to ding notifications and all of this stuff, as long as we build it carefully. Um, and also is just more natural to our state. So instead of looking at a screen, we can feel data, we can get an emotional reaction to data and stuff like that. Um, and as long as we build that carefully, which is you know a big problem that we have to be aware of, I think that it can provide a lot of value and be like one of the best technologies humanity has created. Yeah, very much makes sense. <laughs> um, so I have a question here. What do you think makes humans conscious? Um, can I take a crack at this first, Colin? Absolutely. So, yeah. So there are, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lofty question. It's a, it's a tough one. But, um, and you know, the, the answer, like the, the short answer is that neuroscience has no idea what makes us conscious. And the word consciousness, of course, is just a word that we've, that we've come up with. But the way that I think about it is like our ability to, you know, look to, to self-reflect and realize that we are being. Right. And so I kind of break that down into a couple things, components that I would say are part of consciousness that are, and this is probably not all of them, definitely not all of them, but I look at planning. So, so planning, and that goes in together with understanding of past and future, because most animals are 
strictly in the present moment reacting to reacting to stimulus. But the higher you see intelligence go, you see more ability to plan. And planning shows an understanding of the past and future, which means that you have to understand your space in the past and future and be able to anticipate or remember certain events and like replay them in your head as opposed to just have reactionary them. So that's a big thing. And then I think the other thing is being able to recognize oneself and be like, okay, this is me. So I'm looking at the Zoom call. I obviously know which one is me and which one are you guys. And there are some animals that can, that can do this as well. And so I think that that's, um, that that's really important. And, and like I said earlier, in terms of understanding, uh, in terms of trying to understand consciousness, individual neurons are, we, it's, it's gonna be really hard to look at individual neurons and say, ah, oh, okay, this is where consciousness is happening. Because a neuron has no idea what it's doing, right? It's doing a very, very simple task of, I'm going to stimulate other neurons if an, enough other neurons are stimulating me. And that's all that it's, that it's concerned about. It has no idea that it's in a brain that's producing this amazing thing. And so it's, um, it really is this idea of an emergent property. So a, a collect, something, some crazy phenomenon that is happening as a result of smaller units working. And one example that I think of with this is ants. Individual ants are not all that smart. They have about 250,000 neurons. Compare that to our 86 billion. There's a lot of ground to make up there. But together, they do some really, really amazing things. Some of them can even farm, they can make these huge things, they can care for the dead, they can do all this stuff. But all that they're doing is reacting to their immediate environment with, that, with, with chemical signals and all that stuff, but they create this amazing thing. And so, but the network of ants is not conscious itself, right? We wouldn't look at that and say that it's conscious. We would say, I, I think anyway, and so, there has to be some answer of the type of organization and the complexity that have to come together to create consciousness. And so there's this researcher, Giuliano Tutoni, I think is, is his name. And he is trying to like put a formula to that. And so he's basically looking at, how, what he does is he looks at people when they're asleep and awake and people in, in coma versus awake. And the thing that he finds, um, between these brains is that people who are awake, when they stimulate the brain with electrical pulse, it very rapidly goes out to a lot of different areas. And so there's this, and then starts to like coalesce in those different areas and work on processing. When someone is asleep or in a coma, that signal doesn't get nearly as far. And so one that shows that there has to be simultaneous processing of multiple things going on. And two, there has to be specialized processing going on in different areas. And so, the simplest way to think about that, and I'm almost done because I know that I'm rambling here, but the simplest way to think about that is when we have all sorts of different senses going on, it can be useful to have, to have consciousness and be able to think about this um, to where each of these are being processed separately. And there's not necessarily one area where it comes together, but all of it happening contributes to this idea of consciousness. And so I think that having those separate processing areas that are all highly connected creates this perfect formula of where consciousness can arise. Anyway, that was much more than you were probably looking for there. Colin, if you've got anything to add, go for it. I, yeah, no, I think it's fine. I mean, Colin, I'll give you a chance, um, but <laughs> I just want to make sure with, with, with Harrison, like I'm understanding. Um, so you, you're thinking that there's po potentially a formula that could be put to, put to determine one quantifiable way 
of measuring consciousness in in the in humans also yeah the theory, so that wouldn't tell you like what it's like for someone else to be conscious but i think that you can determine a level of consciousness by looking at this at least that's what this researcher is looking into and i think that his his research is um is promising so that was juliana Tatoni, i think is his name but um but yeah and so basically he is trying to make it quantifiable but i do think that there is some level of you have to have different things going on at the same time that's highly connected and that sort of creates uh, consciousness, we think. But like I said, this is a theory. Neuroscience doesn't really know where it comes from, but it's pretty cool that it happens, so. Sure. Oh, and language, I would say, is very important in, in that as well, because it helps us with the planning and it really helps us with thinking in the future and uh, in the past, but kind of- Which was something that humans created though. Like we didn't really have right. language before. So right. it's like, can that's... we create more consciousness? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that's a great point. I think that consciousness is flexible. And I think that with our, like I, I think of neurotechnology as a way to advance that consciousness with the access to more information and more processing. Like if we can feel what is going on, um, there's this guy, David Eagleman, who I get a lot of these ideas from, and he focuses on sensory substitution. So being able to feel, like to add different senses or to feel things and sense them that you wouldn't normally have a sense. So one of his examples is the stock market. You can give the brain consistent data from something like the stock market or something, something else, and the brain will start to interpret that. And so you can have a sense that is the stock market. And so I think if we can keep adding senses and the brain is able to handle that, that's sort of expanding on our consciousness because we have more separate areas of processing that we can add together to create a bigger picture of the world. Yeah. Colin, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quick. Um, Harrison hit a lot of the points that I was going to say. Uh, I, I think consciousness is an emergent property of um, sensory information, decision-making, genetics, uh, planning, uh, language, all that stuff. So I, I think that um, it, it's not necessarily something that um, is in, intended in air quotes from, from the, um, from like the, the processes that we use to live and that we use to plan and that we use to, to do things and, and plan for future things. I think that it just sort of came about um, in the process of making um, more advanced um, cognitive functions, right? Um, so I think that that's pretty much what consciousness is. I who knows though <laughs> could be could be yeah. right could be right on it could be completely off uh you never know that's, that's the great thing about science is uh we're always learning new things so sure yeah i just saw earlier today on twitter it's like such a crazy thing but um i saw a, a short video of a spider it was like a really big spider who saw himself in the mirror or itself in the mirror and then it was like starting to dance and then realized like Oh, that's me, you know, like in the mirror. Right. And you could tell that it's like trying yeah. to move to see what the reflection would do. And then it'll like move away from the mirror or move closer to the mirror, move away from the mirror and back and forth. Yeah. And then it was like clearly shocked. But <laughs> I think the fact that it could realize that, I mean, it, it kind of had to have some sort of consciousness. Yeah, awareness of self right in there. And so I think, like you said, it's a spectrum. It's been a spectrum throughout human history in terms of creating, um, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like for what you, where you were uh, introducing the topic, it's been a spectrum across human history as our language has developed. 
and our ability to interpret and understand information. But I think it's a spectrum across the animal kingdom as well um, in terms of in terms of what that means. But yeah, it's it's hard to tell because you know humans also have a tendency to anthropomorph anthropomorphize. Is that the way you say it? Yeah. Where they like yeah. yeah where they they uh, you know we 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 think that something's happening, so that's how we perceive it as happening when it could be some other entirely separate thing that we're not even really thinking about. Uh, for example, like when a dog uh, barks at somebody, maybe somebody, maybe they're, uh, somebody thinks, oh, he's barking to get your attention when really the dog was barking because he's hungry and you feed him every time he barks. Um, so you got to be careful there. But also, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I agree with this, the whole spectrum of consciousness thing for sure. So how about you, Ryan? We'll turn your, your <laughs> difficult oh, question man. back on you. What is consciousness? <laughs> Yeah, I would. I wish I knew. I guess the reason that I asked was because I had started thinking more. Like I watched tons of Elon Musk interviews and just yeah. am fascinated by how he thinks. And then similarly, I've started to um, research Brian Johnson, the guy who started Kernel, and think he's fascinating as well. And the way that he describes what fascinates him about other people is that every single person has their own assumption stack and so like everybody's everybody's world and thinking is built off of their experiences and therefore their assumption stack and with elon like i think his assumption stack is built off of incredible experiences and Mm -hmm. lots of real like real knowledge that is genuine and 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 well-founded and then the thing that he always is wondering about is like what is life about what is what is consciousness how do we how do we expand the scope and scale of consciousness and how do we figure out what the right questions to ask are and so yeah i mean i guess i just like i don't know but as i've started to learn more about brain machine interfaces and just gotten into i guess the nerdier side of all this stuff i've started realizing like it really is pretty fascinating to know that okay humans do have consciousness i think it's the primary thing that differentiates us from any other species in the world like our intelligence is just so correlated to consciousness and so if we can increase our consciousness then in theory we can increase our intelligence and and vice versa probably too right and that's sort of the starting point for everything and if i were to draw a line between consciousness. I said it's it's like a spectrum and I do think that, but the difference between us and really any other animal is just, it's huge uh, in terms of that sort of consciousness stuff and in terms of what we're able to do with our mind. And that's, that's somewhat obvious. So if I were to draw a line, I would put it there. Um, it would have been interesting to talk to a Neanderthal uh, though, because they definitely, they had language and all that stuff, but unfortunately um, we'd have to bring somebody back for that to happen. But but yeah, I think Elon Musk is really interesting. And the thing that, that, that I, so for me, like when the thing that like personally drives me is this idea of promoting consciousness and pushing it like farther out into the universe, because I think it's such a beautiful thing that happened on such like a, it's just, it's crazy how it happened. It's so beautiful. And it seems like he also um, like for his own reasons and stuff, just wants to, has this deep desire to push humanity forward. And that's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of respect for that and whatever he, and whatever he does. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really cool. 
Um, okay, so a little bit different. I have a theory that in the future we'll be able to specifically state the portion of any part of the brain. So let's say in the cortex, somatosensory cortex, and then very specifically, like this little portion of the somatosensory cortex has X issue and we'll be able to diagnose and treat like that specific thing. And we won't just say, Hey, there's an issue with that specific part. There might be somebody that says we have, um, ALS, oh, well, that would be more, but let's say like some, some sort of disease like ALS or Alzheimer's or um, whichever disease it is. And then we correlate it to a specific part of the brain. Then we could say, okay, this person has ALS of this specific part of the brain. This person has ALS of this specific part. And then this person has a different type of ALS. Just, just like how right now today we think of, well, it, it doesn't really do a lot of, um, it's not super helpful to tell somebody, oh, well, X person has cancer. Instead, it's, it's much more useful information to say like, okay, well, this person has colon cancer or this person has eye cancer or prostate cancer. And so in the future, I just think we'll, we'll have more detailed information and we'll be able to specifically say, what do you guys think about that theory? Well, yeah, I mean, I think individualized medicine is the future and, and will just continue to develop. And it's one of the most important things. And so this is, you know, every diagnosis that we have, I think psychology is specifically a good spot to look. The DSM, the DSM which is this uh, collection of all of the diagnoses that can be given for, for mental, mental illness, mental health, whatever it is. And it, it like expands exponentially every time it comes out. And the reason for that is not that there are more popping up, but it's that they're trying to make more and more specific designations. There's also the argument that they're trying to sell more medicine than the various one, but let's just focus on the argument that they're trying to make more specific things. Because if you say that someone has depression, well, that can manifest in so many different ways. And so the more specific that we can get is important, but everything that we have right now is just a label, right? And so it'd be really ideal, the more data that we can collect. And this is something that Colin and I are interested in personally and working on something way, way in the background that's related to this. Um, it's just the more data that you can get around this stuff, the better treatment you can have, obviously. And having biosensing devices in our bodies, around our bodies can help with that um, and you know, make treatment much, much better. Yeah, I, I think that the more data points you have in the brain and throughout the body, the, the more accurate we're going to get with our diagnoses. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd say in the future, we'll, we'll definitely be able to pinpoint specifically what's going on, especially if people start getting these implants more commonly. Have you guys um, ever done research or, or thought about or explored gene editing? I've personally looked into like CRISPR and stuff in the past. Um, I think that over the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to see some really awesome advancements um, in the way that, that um, in those sorts of technologies, gene editing technologies, whether that's designer babies or um, like the MRNA vaccine, for example, for the coronavirus stuff. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, very interesting concept for sure. I'm so here for it. I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like, I'm happy to have an ethical conversation about all of it because there are, you know, issues to talk about, but, but it's, it's really, really interesting. And connecting that, not necessarily CRISPR gene editing, but just um, genetics to uh, individualized medicine, there's actually um, a certain type of, of test, which I've, which I've done um, called pharmacogenomics testing. And basically what it does is it analyzes your DNA sequence and it helps find medications that will work better for you. Um, and so it basically analyzes this huge database of, okay, like here's, here's someone's genes, here are the medications that they responded well to, here are the ones they didn't respond well to, here are the ones that like they had a you know, neutral reaction to, right? And so it puts you on that and then gives you, basically takes all the medications in a category that you could be looking at. And then it helps inform your doctor and make recommendations on, um, and make recommendations on a treatment for you. And I personally have found it to be really effective. Previous to this, because um, this was for like headaches and stuff, had a lot of medications that uh, like I would only get the adverse effects, wouldn't work at all. After this testing was done, like it was the one that was recommended from that worked perfectly. So it's really, really wow. interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. And so, and that's very, very new too, but it just, it, it goes into this whole idea of, of just individualized medicine and right. you have the ethical issues of data collection and all of that stuff that we need to keep an eye on. But if we, the more data we can collect on a person, the, the better we can treat them and, you know, monitor and all that stuff, monitor health. For sure. Um, is there, are there any last things that you guys want to share on, on this video? Thanks for having us. Yeah. We love talking. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. We love this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank, thank you guys for, for coming on and, um, having this conversation. I mean, I, I think what you guys are doing is, is fantastic and it's only a matter of time until your guys' uh, growth numbers are, are really significant. So hopefully yeah, hopefully there are folks who are watching this video that will go over to your channel. I'll make sure to link it down in the description. And uh, yeah, just check out the course that these guys have created. It's it's really high quality content. And um, yeah, I, I've watched, I haven't watched every single video, but I've watched the vast majority of them. Um, so yeah, highly recommend checking that out. Um, but yeah, thanks for having this conversation, guys. Thank you. Keep yeah, thanks about for the support. Time. It's the best thing that any of us can do is just, and even, you know, people, people watching this too, regardless of what your background is, have, you know, conversations about this stuff with your friends because it's interesting and it's weird and it's scary and it's exciting and all of these things together. Like this is, this is what's great. And you don't have to be super educated to talk about this stuff you do to like make policy on it, but that's a different thing, but just talk about it. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really, it's really exciting. And that's, that's our number one goal is just to yeah. get more people interested. In and it's definitely yes, the future. It's here to yeah. stay and it's going to keep coming and it's going to be amazing. So yes, for sure. but we derailed your ending. So thank you very much again <laughs> for having us, for having us on. This was, this is really fun. You're good. Okay. See you guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Since you've made it this far, we greatly appreciate you supporting by liking, subscribing, and following us on all the major social platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you really enjoy our videos, please also consider supporting by clicking the join button or going to patreon.com slash neuropod. Thanks again, and hope you join us again for the next episode. And last, just a reminder, Neuropod receives no compensation from Neuralink and is not formally affiliated with Neuralink in any way. <laughs>